Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, one particular Sunday, a minister, before he dismissed the congregation on a Sunday morning, said, Now, next week, I'm going to be speaking on the sin of lying, and I want everyone here to read Mark chapter 17. The Gospel of Mark chapter 17, he dismissed the congregation, went through a week, came the next Sunday, went through the songs, the prayer, got up to preach. He said, okay, how many of you have read the Gospel of Mark chapter 17? All the hands went up. He said, well... There's only 16 chapters in Mark. I will proceed with talking about the sin of lying. Now, I would be lying if I were to tell you that I'm about to preach on lying. I'd be lying this morning if I told you we were not going to talk about financial stewardship during this campaign. It's a new day that we are involved in. I'd be lying to you if I told you I was scared for some reason to talk about giving. I'd be lying to you if I informed you newcomers or guests that I talk about giving all the time here at East Haven. I'd be lying to you if I told you I do not expect ministerial staff members And yea, deacons, to tithe. I believe the Bible speaks clearly on the tithe. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, that comes as no surprise to the search committee or the church at this point. I've shared that before. It's a blessing. And it's an opportunity for all of us. I'd be lying to you if I said the Bible doesn't speak on tithing and giving offerings. Now, here's a few examples in the Old and the New Testament. Genesis 14, 20 says, Then Abraham gave a tenth of everything. Malachi 3, 10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, let me take your time out here. The Bible does teach the tithe, 10% income. I also know that God is a gracious God and he loves us unconditionally. And I know that there are some people that are new Christians and have never been taught about financial stewardship. And there may be a season and a time certainly to educate and help people understand. And I understand there's some that may say, well, I'm, I'm involved in a church, but I'm not quite there. Well, you know, that's between you and God. But let that be your goal. And understand that the Bible is clear on that as well as other things. I do believe it's very important when someone is called to be a deacon, which is talked about in the Bible, or called to be in ministry, which is very important as a pastor and a minister, that we should practice tithing on a pattern and a regular and a consistent basis. If that is not happening, I can tell you, we in trouble. We in trouble. 
There's a lot more to that. If you have a pastor, past, present, future, or ministerial staff that's not regularly tithing to God's church, we in trouble. You need to know that. I stand on that until I see Jesus by God's grace. Now, Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Mark chapter 12, 42 through 44. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who contributed to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And I'd be lying to you. If I believed everyone should give in this campaign the same amount for it's a new day. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. I'm sure you've heard that before. We're not talking about an it's a new day, the tithe. We're talking about an offering. I've been in churches in the past where some have given tithe, their tithe on a regular basis, and they say, well, I think what I'll do is I'll take a part of my tithe, and I'll give that to the campaign for three years. Well, that's between you and God, but that's not what we're hoping or encouraging you to do. We're encouraging and praying and trusting that you give the tithe regularly and bring it into the storehouse. For God opens up the window and he blesses us because it is a matter of faith that you're trusting God with your financial resources and being a good steward of everything he's given because he's given us everything. Folks, this can be a little overwhelming, this type of campaign, based on where you are in your season of life financially, based on the fact that our church, quite frankly, hasn't had this type of campaign in decades, from my understanding. And some may think, God, I just cannot do it. Well, I want you to know, if that's you, you may be in a great place. I want to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 41. And I want us to consider Joseph in the Old Testament. We're going back to Genesis. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. There could certainly be a time in the future, in the days ahead, that we do a whole study on Joseph. Today, we're just doing a piece. Because Joseph reached a point in his life, though he was the favored son, and he went from pit to pinnacle, Favored son, Jacob's son, Rachel, the one he loved. Favored son, the coat of many colors. And God gave him ability to interpret dreams. And God used that in his life. But it was after going through a series of crises, being sold into slavery by his loved ones. In other words, people that were supposed to be for him, his family, turned their back on him. You ever had that? And then he was falsely accused. 
and he was put back in prison. I mean, this guy's an amazing fella. He always encourages me because I think, man, if Joseph can go through all those different things and still not have a root of bitterness and still believe in God and still trust in him and still deal with temptation, can't we as the church of Jesus Christ, can I as a believer and a pastor? Sure. And so it always helps to look at Joseph when we feel like, man, I'm just not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I can face the crisis I'm going through. I'm not sure that I can face giving an offering and committing to this card that's going to come in the mail or be available in the next several weeks and turn in on February the 11th. Lord, I just cannot do it. I don't see it. Well, I'm praying today will help you. And help me, because depending on who you are and where you are financially, what season of life, it might be very difficult to think about this, an offering. So Pharaoh went to Joseph, said, man, understand you can interpret dreams. I've tried to go get some people. It's a paraphrase here. And, and nobody, nobody can do it, but they tell me you got a word. you got a connection with God. That's what it says in verse 15. This is Genesis 41, verse 16 is the text. But here's what 15 says. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said to you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And this is what Joseph says. I cannot do it. He replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He says, I cannot do it. Why? Because of all the things he'd been through. He'd been broken. And he'd been humbled. But he also knew that God was faithful. God who has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. And so he said, but, can't you see, Joseph? Pharaoh, I can't do it. But I'm going to tell you what. God can give you the answer that you're looking for. You may or may not like it, but God can give you the answer. God can help us with this campaign as we're prayerfully, as a church, wrestling and praying and hopefully talking with our spouse if we're married and our family to say, God, what do you want me to do? Number one on your outline is you cannot do it. Joseph had been through a lot, and you may have heard it said that when you go through the school of hard knocks, you realize you reach a point where you say, I cannot do it. It's doubtful a man can use, that God can use a man greatly, someone has said, until he's hurt him deeply. Why? Because you're humbled. And the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. Another Old Testament character is Samson. You remember how much confidence old Samson had in the Old Testament? That's another person we could study sometime, like to do character studies, especially in the Old Testament. And his last feat, giving glory to God, was after all that he'd been through, injured, no eye, physically injured. God, give me strength one more time to bring down the walls. Read it if you hadn't lately. And God gave him the strength, the walls, the pagans were destroyed, and God got victory through that judge called Samson. Why? Because he'd been humbled. He'd been broken. He realized, I cannot do it. God had placed a call on his life. 
And he reached a point just like Joseph after the school of hard knocks and he realized, I cannot do it. Now, grace is God's attitude toward us when we turn to him, we humble ourselves and he helps us. Grace giving is an offering that's not always required. We read in Numbers 18 of the first fruits offerings, which is an Israelite could give to God out of love for him. I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to 1 Corinthians 8. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. I'll again read out of the NIV. And here's a New Testament example of grace giving. Because you may be saying, I cannot do it. And God is telling a group of people that were struggling financially and supposed to come up with help and money. And here's what he says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this severe to, in, in this service to the Lord's people. And verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the lord and then by the will of god also to us so we urged titus just as he had early made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part but since you excel in everything in faith speech knowledge in complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving number one Cannot do it. Joseph said, we say, depending on where we are, God, I cannot do it. Not equal amount, but equal sacrifice. 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 Where it will be a sacrifice for you and for me to give to this offering. Because God has led us to do it because we believe that we're going to be good stewards of what he's provided for us. We're planting shade trees, and we want the ministry of East Haven to go far beyond a lot of us in this room. And then furthermore after that. But we have to reach a point. God, I, I can't do it. And admit that. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I got, I got to pay this. I got to do this. I got to, Lord. But there's a second thing. God can do it. After all of those years of injustice to Joseph and his brothers were uptight about what would happen to him, we read in Genesis 45. You can flip over there or just listen to this. And he comes back in touch with his brothers after they had sold him into slavery. And, and, he, and he makes himself known to them. Verse 7 of chapter 45. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here. Brothers, in other words... Yeah, he wasn't approving of what they did, but he was saying God is providential. God is sovereign. He works all things together for good, and he was letting them know that. And this is what he says. So then it was not you who sent me, but God, who made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of this entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Only God could do that. 
That's why he amazes me when I stop and think about his life and all those injustices from family and friends and others. He kept his eyes on Christ. And over and over, if you read the story of Joseph, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe you need to fill in your name. And the Lord was with whatever you're going through. Keep your eyes on him. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to reach to a point. Life and tragedy and trials and certainly in this campaign, we say, God, I can't do this. But God, you can through me. I want to be a vessel. I want to be generous. I want to do what you want me to do. And that's the third thing we see. God will give you peace to do it. Peace that passes all understanding. And you, if you read Genesis about Joseph's brothers traveling back to their father Jacob and him wanting them to have peace to not get uptight or think that he's going to do anything wrong to them, to go back and get Benjamin, if you know the story, not to do stinking thinking. In Genesis 45, 24 through 25, this is what he says. He knows human nature. Joseph does. He knows his brothers. And he's wanting them to have peace about all that's going on. Hey, don't be uptight. I understand why you would, but don't. God's giving me peace. He's giving me favor. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of of our dad. I'm going to take care of young Benjamin. And so this is what he says in chapter 45, verse 24. Then he sent his brothers away back to Jacob. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. In other words, don't be robbed of the peace that passes understanding. Trust and believe in God. So they went up to Egypt, came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. So they went on, and God gave them peace. There are probably several groups in this room or listening that are members of the church. One, it may be that... You don't give because of faith and you can't figure it out due to excelling in math or accounting and you can't, you just everything didn't come down to a T, so you're hesitant. I, I, I've never been accused of being an accountant or excelling in math. In this case, sometimes I think it might be good. Here's what we got to be reminded of. And whether you're good at math, you're accountant, wherever you fall on that. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and being certain of what you do not see. So there comes a time we believe that God's leading us to do something. It's in the Bible. He's convicted us. It's not our preferences. It's a conviction. And we trust him. We say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to trust in you. Help me. And I'm telling you, he'll come through every time it's a matter of spiritual maturity and the opportunity to grow in our faith there's another group you may you may be in debt up to your eyeballs and don't give but expect God to bless you and we need to be careful about all that we need to ask God to help us with that and manage our money carefully but some are doing all that and saying well I'm not giving a penny because I've got this financial situation but oh God bless me You need to work that out with the Lord and see what he's telling you to do. To work on the one without forsaking the other. 
God is faithful. He has people in the church and the body of Christ that will help. And then there's some that are uneducated and they've never been taught about giving and tithes and offerings. And that's where our Sunday school teachers, our staff, myself, have to educate and help bring people along to help understand grace giving and what the tithes and offerings mean. This is an opportunity for us. I want you, as your pastor, have a peace about this decision to give an offering for our future. It's an opportunity to grow in faith. Hebrews 1, 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's an opportunity for all of us. It's an opportunity for all of us to grow in our faith. This should be a blessing and not a burden. That's why I want a peace for all of us as we wrestle and pray through this. I've been here long enough to see many of you go through various trials with great peace. And you know it was God because you are incapable of going through it. This is what we need for this sacrificial offering for this campaign. A peace that passes all understanding. Now... About this king cake. Last year I shared with you that this was a little foreign to me. When I moved back to my native state, having grown up in central Mississippi a few years back, I, I, just, wasn't, I, just, I just wasn't familiar. These, 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 these young people have been guarding this king cake, by the way. And let's see. Yep, they did a good job. They didn't take one bite. They told me they might, but anyway, they didn't. They protected it. So I never, I just wasn't used to it. All the purple and the gold and the king cakes. I'm trying to get over all the, you know, I have a sweet tooth. I'm a sweetaholic. All the stuff that happens in December. Whew. And then I come here and here it is. It's just everywhere. Yeah, but I mean, you go to people's house. You go to fellow. I mean, it's, it's purple and gold. I mean, it's everywhere. That's tough on a sweet tooth person like me. And so here's what I tell you. I learned, though, that you don't just, it's not just a pretty, sweet, nice cake. There's a baby inside, a plastic baby inside. And there was an article Tuesday in the Clarion Ledger. I got it right here. I'm going to leave this down here, too, if you need to read it, about the symbolism and the tradition, and I won't go through all that. Some of you already know about it all, but here it is in case you need it. And I do want that article back, but because I'm still trying to understand it all. But there's a plastic baby, so there is some risk, especially if you, according to my wife and family, eat like I do. You don't slow down, and if it's sweets, the, the quicker the better. Because that way, you can start looking around the table and see who else is, is not eating their dessert. I mean, I got this down to science. And so there is a risk because I'm thinking I could bite down, mess up a tooth. But here's what I found last year for a newcomer to king cake, to to this Mardi Gras king cake. I found that it was sweet. Man, it was good. And it was worth the risk. It's worth the risk. This campaign, it's a new day. For many here, it's new. But I believe 
by God's grace, you will find that it's sweet and it's going to be good and it's going to be worth the risk because it's a step of faith. Where God guides, he provides. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Dear God, help us know what we're to do as we vote our convictions in a minute, as we quite possibly move forward with this campaign, Lord, may you help us to know by faith what we're to do and help us to grow in our relationship with you and grow spiritually deeper roots because of this opportunity. And may it be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. Our staff will be here. This is the public invitation for us. And for you, if God is leading you to make a decision, to pray at the altar, whatever he may be leading you to do or to pray with us about or talk about, this is your opportunity as we sing for you.